Hey everyone, welcome back to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We have a special guest who's been on the podcast before with us, Dr. Russell Fuller. How you doing? I'm Dr. doing Fuller. well, John. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Uh, for those who don't know, Dr. Fuller taught for many years at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's on the board for TruthScript. And uh, if people want to find out more about your theology classroom, if they want to learn theology at a good seminary level, uh, where can they go? And then go to my website, Russell uh, RussellTFuller.com. RussellTFuller.com. And uh, let me tell you, a lot of people have told me who have taken your courses, uh, Dr. Fuller, that they're enriching and a blessing. And um, and they get this for just you know pennies on what they would have paid to go to seminary. And so if you want to learn hermeneutics or Old and New Testament survey, or I don't know what you're offering this semester, but uh, but they can go there. Yes, absolutely. So, well, we have a, a big topic and I, I feel like I should, maybe we should both give our testimonies first on kind of how this came about. Of course, um, you're more, I would say, connected in a close proximity to this whole issue, being a professor at Southern Seminary uh, with Bruce Ware, who advocates the position we're going to be talking about, this eternal subordination position. Um, and then, of course, Owen Strawn was a student of yours. I know for me, um, this has been something for a few years I've actually wanted to talk about. In fact, I've had on my browser queued up a debate with Bruce Ware and Owen. Uh, I don't think it was. I'm trying to remember who it was now. Bruce Ware was one of the participants arguing for this Trinitarian position. Um, and it, I, I think I got halfway through it and I never quite finished it. And I, I read some things and I, I had this plan of talking about it, but I felt like it was fraught with minefields. It was such a big topic. I didn't want to get anything wrong. And I, I just kind of other things were happening that were important that I thought needed my attention. But I, I knew that this was a bad argument to try to to ground for people who don't know, we're going to define our terms. But what I saw in this doctrine, this Trinitarian doctrine was an attempt to ground the relationship of husbands and wives in the relationship that the father and the son primarily had in the Trinity. And so this was a way of uh, promoting a complementarian view. And instead of grounding in creation, which is really, I think, what you see in Scripture, uh, the attempt is made to, to ground it in the Trinity, that it's just like the Trinity, where there's no, um, uh, there, women and men can be equal, but there's still this ordering. Uh, and, and, and maybe some would say a hierarchy uh, could be could, um, argued from that ordering, perhaps, which we'll get into. Um, so, so that was my interest was just, let, let's stop making really lame arguments for, you know, complementarianism. Let's, let's make better arguments. And this isn't one of them. And it just got away from me until I was sitting with you and, and Stephen Wolf was there and a few other people, what, maybe three months, four months ago mm -hmm. in Wisconsin. And you, this, this topic came up of eternal subordination and you articulated, I think the concerns very well. And so I reached out to you. And said, would you be willing to, to do a podcast? And you got back to me right away and say, said you'd love to. So, that, so that's how I'm approaching this. My concern is for Christians who are uh, being given this view from people like Wayne Grudem or Bruce Ware or Owen Strawn. And I don't want them to make these bad arguments. And I'm also concerned that this isn't an orthodox view of the Trinity. And so, um, so that, that's the, the heart I have uh, on this topic. And what about you, Dr. Fuller? What, what put this on your radar? Yeah, the first time, of course, like you said, I, I taught with Bruce Ware at Southern Seminary for 22 years. And again, I like Bruce very much, a very nice guy. We always got along very well. 
Uh, Owen Strand was a student in one of my classes, so I've had contact with him as well. And um, <clears throat> But the first time that really caught my attention that was something different about the uh, Bruce's view of the Trinity is when he told me one time, he says, you know, we're not really supposed to pray to the Son, but we're supposed to pray to the Father. And I thought, you know, that's, um, that's different because <laughs> I, I thought, when he first said it, I didn't say anything to him. I mean, he's, he's a theology professor. I'm an Old Testament professor. So I'm like, I better think about this again. But again, as I look at scripture, I see passages like in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, I think around verse 17 and 18, where Paul is praying to the, to the Son and to the Father, you see, very clearly there. And so I was like, this is different. And then I started hearing rumors. And then in 2016, the internet just sort of blew up over this topic because there were many who were holding to, let's say, the traditional Trinitarian position. And they saw this as a real threat to Orthodox Christianity. And so uh, people uh, like Mark Jones, for instance, and I think his name is uh, Liam Goliger. These two gentlemen in particular were um, going against this new view of Bruce Ware and Wayne Grudeman. And, uh, and again, they call, I've heard it called different things, but I think the way they like it to be called is the eternal relations of authority and submission. And they're talking about in the eternal relations, if you go back to the Trinity itself, there is within the Trinity uh, these relations, and these relations are, of course, that the Father has authority, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they have submission. So they have different roles. They have different uh, relations with one another, and therefore there is a real hierarchy of, of sorts. So if we get into this here, uh, I'll, I'll sort of, again, contrast the two different yeah. views. Well, it's important to note, I think, as you <clears> just did, that this was a, a controversy uh, maybe, what, seven or eight years ago. And it's somewhat died down, I suppose. It's still kind of brought up. I, I see every once in a while someone brings it up, but it's very rare. And it, it's like, I don't know if people forgot or what. This This was a hot topic, though. I remember even in... Like 2017, I remember at Southeastern, there were students doing their dissertations on this topic. Right. So I, I think it is important. Um, oh, even very though, important. Yeah, even though we're downstream from some of the controversies over it, it's it's still around. The people who express this view are still expressing this view as I understand it. And there hasn't been, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Fuller, any kind of... Uh, denouncements or retractions or anything like that. This has been really, I mean, the people, Bruce Ware, Wayne Grudem and Owen Strawn in particular, haven't made any adjustments as far as I know. Uh, you know, over time, they have modified their position um, because some they've, I, I know Bruce has, Bruce has made modifications uh, as, because I know on, on Southern's campus, a lot of the theology professors they they kept telling Bruce, hey Bruce, we're we're concerned about this. This is a real this is a problem. None of the other professors, uh, uh, to my knowledge, at Southern agrees with Bruce on this. 
And many of them, at least privately to me, uh, spoke about real concern that this was, uh, this was something that was alarming to them. And so, again, and even some of the professors in the church history department, again, expressed to me, let's say, very uh, deep concerns, very serious concerns about this doctrine and that it was not, you know, that it was really contrary to the doctrine of the Trinity as the church has known it for the last 15, 1600 years. So would it be fair to say there's been some tweaks, but not <clears throat> fundamental adjustments? They That's haven't correct. Actually... That is right. There's okay. been some tweaks made to it as the, as the criticism has come in. There's been a lot of tweaking it, but at the same time, the, uh, the essential um, assertion that in the Trinity itself, just considering the, like, let's say the, the existence of the Trinity, there is an inherent authority that the Father has that the Son and the Holy Spirit does not have. They're not equal in authority is what we have here. So we have really an inequality in the relationship. Now they're they're going to say that's just in their relationship, not in their being, but in their relationship, they're not uh, yeah. they're not equal in authority. You know, it just occurred to me. This is a totally new thought that maybe I shouldn't share, but I'm going to share it because <laughs> it's interesting to me. But uh, you know, since this has been used so much to defend complementarianism, why can't you defend labor relationships with this? Why can't you say, uh, yeah. well, you know, sl uh, slavery is okay <laughs> because. The Trinity or something, you know, they, it, it's kind of very, um, I don't know if anyone else has brought that up, but it just occurred to me that this is something that probably has a wider application than just trying to narrowly defend complementarian views. Um, but anyway, I, I should digress from that one since everyone's now mad. Uh, let's talk about um, let's, the Trinity itself, because, yes, you know, everyone who's watching this podcast, a lot of the people I should say that watch this podcast are... They're in churches. They're Christians. They they believe in the Bible. They want to do what the Bible says. They want to be faithful to Scripture, right? And and their concern, of course, is that some of the institutions they funded, uh, including even churches, sometimes have not been faithful. But they don't all have necessarily the theological background that someone like yourself has to um, understand these ideas. And so I, I think it's helpful to walk through this. What? What is the Trinity? You don't see the word Trinity in Scripture. So what are we talking about? Yeah, the word Trinity has the idea of the tri-unity, the three in one. <clears throat> and again, this was the first great controversy in the church. <clears throat> uh, because here's what the Bible teaches. God is one. He's not two. He's not three, four. No, God is one. But yet the Bible also teaches the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And so how do we put this together? How can God be one, and yet God be, as it were, three? And so this was the, again, the, the first great controversy in the church. And it took, it took years, I mean, like we're talking about 100 years or so, for this um, argument really to work itself out. And also, we, we have to understand that these are not three different ways of God uh, manifesting himself. So God's manifesting himself one time as a father. The next time he manifests himself as a son. 
the next time as a holy as the holy spirit no these are not just manifestations of god these are actual what we would call persons in the trinity and so uh, the notion of the trinity again is three persons in one divine being one substance and how do we distinguish and this is the key part i think one of the key parts of this debate now how do we distinguish the three persons in the godhead and i think we should do it by what we call their personal properties and what are the personal properties the properties of father son and holy spirit so this is normally the way it is said the father begets the son the Son is begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son from all eternity. And it's very important that we say from all eternity because it's not as if the Father existed for a while, and then the Son was begotten later, and then after a while, then the Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. No, all of this happened from all eternity past. In other words, there was never a time when the Son was not begotten. There was never a time when the Holy Spirit didn't proceed from the Father and the Son. So we do have an order in the sense of the Father begets the Son and the Father and the Son, um, the Spirit proceeds from yeah. them. There is an order there. But it, again, it's an order of their sort of we have a subsistence of you know three persons in the godhead so it's giving us the subsistence but that's not meaning that okay the father is superior to the son and the son is superior to the holy spirit or something like this no they're equal in in the sense that they're all god they're all equally god the fullness of the godhead dwells in each one not as um, ed litton <laughs> When he ran for the Southern Baptist for, for the president of the Southern Baptist, if you looked at his church website, oh, that's right. the Father was a third God, the Son was a third God, and the Holy Spirit was a third God. No, no, no. I no, forgot no. about that. You're right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not the Trinity. And so it's very important that we understand uh what we're what we're talking about here. So again, they're one uh divine being or one divine essence. Okay, very important. Therefore, they're one in glory, they're one in power, uh, they're one in majesty, and this is very important. They're one in will. They, they have one, the, there's one Trinitarian will. If you have three wills, and again, Bruce Ware will say this as well. If you have three wills, then you have three uh, gods, really. Okay, not just three persons in the Trinity, you have uh, three gods. So it's important that in the Trinity, there is one will. Okay, that's very important because again, they're one person. Again, there's none before or after, there's none greater or lesser. Uh, that, again, we want to make, they're all, they're co-equal and they're co-eternal. And so this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, is this doctrine uh, that you just articulated from, are we, are we talking since Nicaea, this has been the understanding? Uh, how long has this been the view? Yeah, you know, Nicaea was a great victory for, uh, I believe his name was Alexander. 
he was an archbishop and, uh, and also for a, a young man named Athanasius. Uh, they, they got a important victory at the Council of Nicaea. That's like 325, but sort of the final victory. Because again, you might win one victory, but uh, usually you're going to have to battle this over and over again. It's like, like, like social justice. <laughs> you might get a victory in social justice today, but let me tell you, you're going to need another one for tomorrow, next week, next month. It's the way it works. So it's going to take a while even for something like social justice to be completely, you know, slain. Or really what's going to happen is until the next thing comes along and takes the place of social justice. Okay. But really social justice will just come back in another form is what we're really talking. But then later on around 381 uh, AD, we're talking uh, at the uh, council of Constantinople was considered the final victory, but there were still a few uh, tweaking of the Trinity to come, but not really that from that point on, Really, the, all the essentials were there. And really, the doctrine has not been fundamentally or essentially changed in like 15 to 1600 years. This new way of looking at the Trinity would be a fundamental shift in how we understand the Trinity. I mean, the Apostles' Creed is pretty much every, not just Protestants, obviously, Catholics, Protestants of every stripe. Um, I would even Eastern Orthodox, I would think, would hold oh, yeah. to that. Oh, yes, they would. Okay. Yes. And, and they would hold to Nicene as well. They would hold to, to that one. And even Constantinople, I believe they would all hold. Uh, to yeah, that right. As well. and, and maybe that's what I was. I, I said Apostles Creed. Yeah, the Nicene. Now, Creed. now, later on, there's something called the Athanasius Creed that comes in the 500s. And there, uh, it's according to what version of it, because remember, the Eastern Orthodox Church does not oh, believe. Right. In the, in other words, the Holy Spirit only proceeds from the Father, not from the Father and the Son. That's Eastern Orthodoxy. But in the West, whether we're talking the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church, we've always said no. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So if you look at the Athanasius Creed, you'll you'll see kind of two versions of that. Interesting. Okay, so um, with that background in mind, let's yes. continue on with the competing view as you, you said, you call it a competing view. So you have the traditional view of the Trinity and the eternal relations of authority and submission challenges this. Right. First of all, what I think the people who are holding to this view um, of this, I'll just call it, I'll shorten it up to say the eternal relations view. Okay. They would say, listen, everything I've just said, we agree. We agree with everything that I, the things I said earlier, but then they would say, but wait a minute, we can also distinguish the personal properties of the three persons in the Trinity, not only by, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like I said, or again, the Father uh, begets the Son, the Son's begotten of the Father and so forth. They would say, there's another way that we distinguish them as well. And that is in their eternal relations. And in the eternal relationship among the Trinity, it, we're talking about the Trinity in itself. They have relations between one another and we can distinguish the members of the Trinity or at least one from the other two, 
which is kind of strange. You would expect you would be able to distinguish all three, but in a way, one is distinguished by authority. That's the father. The other two are really not distinguished. <laughs> they are really sort of not they're really undifferentiated here. But yet they have something called subordination. Okay, they they or submission. They're submitting to the authority of the father. So this is a again a major shift here. We're going from their personal properties to really the role or the function or the relationship they have with one another. There's a relationship of authority and submission between the two. And, so and that's the, the first difference. The advantage here, of course, is that then you can say, wives submit to your husbands. And it's not tyrannical because this happens in the Trinity. Jesus submitted to his father. That, that's what they're trying to do, right? That right. Now, they'll tell you, <clears throat> they'll tell you, now, wait a minute. We didn't create this in order to uh, uh, talk about, you know, husband and wife relationships. However, what, what is true, though, is they came up with this view in the heat of the battle for what was going on at the time, which was a big controversy between egalitarianism and complementarianism. And to Wayne Grudem and Bruce Ware's credit, they were leading the charge on this. And I think they were doing a great job until they wanted to use, until they said, hey, wait a minute, we've discovered now that the Trinity is also important in this, and they brought the Trinity. I think anytime you bring the Trinity into, let's say, creaturely uh, relations and try to compare the Trinity to something in the created world, we're going to be in great danger of creating Trinitarian errors. And I think that's what they've done. I, and again, you know, if you look at the time when this happened, in this great debate. And by the way, I got to tell you this, John, I was at um, a, a, a the, uh, the Evangelical Theological Society. And when they came out with this view, the, the people who were pushing for egalitarianism, that, you know, men and women are equal in every way in the home, in the church, they can be pastors, all this stuff, you know, it's just feminism. And, uh, <clears throat> When Bruce and them came out with this, they were delighted because now they knew they had the uh, they had the higher ground where they can say, hey, look, they even have to, you know, hurt the Trinity to get their position. So I even went to hear some of their lectures. Oh. I'm, I'm like, oh, no, what are they going to say? They got up and they were sitting there teaching Orthodox Trinitarianism and pound. So they were able to shift from their error to the error of Bruce and, and uh, Wayne on their, so, I mean. I see what you're, so what you're saying is the more egalitarian minded people were able to use this against. Oh, the, like a, they gave him a hammer and yeah. they were just, and really, I, I mean, all the good, or let's say most of the good that Bruce and Wayne did, they really lost some, a lot of this through, they're they're using the trinity and, and again they would say no 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 we found this and then we noticed the dip but it really does well, look like I, these things happened at the same time and the heat of right. one battle 
so it's like, even the Trinity's on our side on this. Look at this. And let, let me ask you. Like, let me ask you something because I know the Christians listening to this. I'm sure some of them have the question. It's in their minds right now. You know, what about when Jesus says things like, "You know, I, I do what my Father tells me to do," or when He um, says things like, "Just as my Father and I are one, I want you." And He's talking to His disciples to be one. I mean, doesn't it seem like He's taking, uh, obviously, not using the word Trinity? It's not in the Scripture, but He's taking this relationship, at least that He has with the Father, and He is uh, bringing it into a human paradigm. Kind of. What, what would you say to push back like that? Yeah, I mean. You know, when, when if, if Jesus uses it, <laughs> that's one thing. If he wants to use a comparison between him and his father, we've got to be very careful about making Jesus knows the Trinity. The, the Trinity is uh, we, we don't fully comprehend it. it it's it, it's uh, it's not fully comprehended by us. So we must be careful. And again, he was making an analogy about the unity uh, between him and the, the disciples. But I, I would still say, again, we must be careful about it to make. Um, so he, he wasn't, I, I, maybe the distinction is he was not trying to say that there is a subordination of some kind that you should have among yourselves because my father and I have that subordination. He's, he's more talking about the unity of purpose they have. Well, remember, um, John. Yeah, remember, John. Also, he's talking. Here, here's some of the difficulties of this discussion. Sometimes, when Jesus speaks, he's referring to, to himself as, of course, he's the God Man, and sometimes he really has in mind, as it were, his human nature. Sometimes his divine nature. As divine, he's equal with the Father. As a human being, he's inferior to the Father. Right. So we have to keep those kind of things in mind as well. Now, with this view, and I'll, I'll get to it in a minute, but, but maybe I'll go ahead and say it now since we sort of touched on it. This new view, they sort of, that distinction, they rarely, they, they rarely bring that distinction in. They almost eliminate that distinction. So anytime the Son is speaking, he's speaking as the second person of the Trinity, as opposed to the God man. And so there, that's why, you know, when Jesus says, you know, no man knows the day or the hour of the second coming, not even the son knows. Now, how do we understand this? Uh, is this the second person of the Trinity speaking? If it is, then obviously the second person of the Trinity does not know what the first person of the Trinity knows this is a real problem. We have to see that as referring to the humanity of Christ. Jesus, as a human being, did not know the day or the hour. And that's a mystery to us. How can, how can Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he is 100% God, 100% man, but one person, you know, how, how can he say that? Well, it's, it has to refer to his human. Or when the Bible talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and in stature. We understand the stature. It's clearly his human body. But at the same time, he's growing enough. That's his human mind. That's right. his human nature so, growing. So there were certain non-communicable attributes. He, certain non-communicable. Uh, that's correct. He uh, forewent or, or you know, I'm that's trying right. to come up with the, the best language to keep within the bounds of orthodoxy here. And that's right. And remember, the Bible will sometimes talk about, you know, um, 
you know, talk about God and then God purchased the church with his blood. And you're going, wait a minute, God, blood? <laughs> so what the scriptures do is a lot of times they'll talk about one nature of the person of the son, but apply it to the whole person. Right. So sometimes it'll talk about the divinity of Christ, but yet it's also relating, you know, in other words, it's relating to the whole person. And then sometimes it'll say something about the humanity of Christ, but again, it's related to the whole person. So that's why you can get something like, uh, again, almost like God has blood in certain passages. You know, like, wait a minute, you know? Yeah. Um, so. so, all right. So the submission, it's interesting though, because what you're talking about here, I think does have, um, these are the passages that they'll go to. Jesus submits to the Father. So what do you do with that? And and what you're saying, it sounds to me, is that, well, of course he does, but but the submission is in his human uh, nature, in the the mission that he had as a human being on this earth, increasing in wisdom and stature as he grew, was uh, to be about his Father's business. That's and, correct. And, and that's much different than saying there is an ontological, another $100,000 word, uh, That's that right. difference between the son and the father, that they're ontologically there, that difference doesn't exist there. Yeah. When we say ontological, we're talking about in the very being of God, yeah. the very being of the Trinity. That's right. Now also we'll say this in the, we, we talk about the Trinity in its being, but we also talk about the Trinity in its works. When the Trinity reveals itself in working out the one divine Trinitarian plan for the, you know, uh, for, for, you know, creation, providence, and especially the doctrine of redemption. There's this one divine Trinitarian plan. Now, as that plan is executed by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is something that people call a relative subordination. In other words, it's not, it's a subordination relative to their roles in redemption or in the works of creation and providence. So as the Trinity reveals itself to us, there is a relative subordination where the Father sends the Son and, and things of this nature. But again, that does not go back to the Trinity in itself. It's not a real subordination in the Trinity where, again, the Son is somehow inferior to the Father. But as the working out of the plan of God by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they have roles. You know, I don't know how else to call it. They have roles that they are functioning as, or, or if you want a more fancy terminology, they have modes of operations. That sounds better than roles. They have manner of operations so that the Father is sending the Son. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, okay? So there is a relative subordination, meaning there's not an essential subordination in the Trinity itself, but in its, in its working out of its one divine will, there's a relative subordination in the manner of the operations of the Trinity. If that's not, you know, ontologically a subordination, um, would I mean, would the word ordering fit there better? That yes. there's an ordering in the Trinity? There's an ordering in the Trinity. That is true. Again, when you say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a certain order there. 
And again, when you say the father begets the son, and the son, the father and the son, this Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son, there is an order, but this is not an order of, let's say, superiority. They're still equal in power and glory in every way. But again, there is sort of a, in the mode of their, or the manner of their subsistence as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is an order. But again, don't we don't want to look at this as a hierarchy of we have God 1A and then the Son is 1B and you know, not in that sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're, but again, but when you ground it in authority and submission, there you, you've got a problem. And another, see, here's what's a problem with that too. It all, it, it really makes the notion of different wills in the Trinity. So if the father expresses his will through uh, authority, the son and the Holy Spirit must, must present their own wills by submission. This implies multiple wills in the Trinity. And even Bruce Ware says, no, no, that you can't have this. Yeah, okay. Yet, it's inescapable. Yeah, let, let's let's hit the pause button just for a moment because this is a lot for some people to take in. Yes. Um, and I, I think it's good to uh for those who are still listening, and <laughs> maybe some of you might have tuned out. Maybe you're <laughs> sleeping, some of you. I don't know. Um, because this is some very John, is this dense... gonna be good for <clears throat> theology classroom or not? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's important stuff. I think people are curious. It's very it's important. Just, I'm, I'm it's, it's dense and it's um somewhat abstract. So you, you have to put on your thinking cap. Yes. So so so, so let's just <clears throat> kind of put a cap on this and then we'll get into the you know, here's what Bruce Ware says. Here, here's what he's actually written or said or his students say or whatever. Um, and Owen Strawn and whoever else. So the, the view that you're arguing for, that we both believe, is that ontologically, uh, at, a, at a base level, fundamentally, the Trinity, these are, uh, th this is a, a Godhead with um, one will, okay? And they're co-equal, co-eternal uh, persons in the Godhead. There's an ordering uh, in the Godhead, but there is not a hierarchy in the Godhead yes. such that uh, the Father is yeah. superior or his will is superior uh, and, you know, forces itself upon the others or anything like that. That's that's what we want to stay away from. So, so we believe in this ontological um, union of one one will in the Godhead, not even a union. That's not even the good way to put it. Yeah, there yeah, is yes. a one will. There's right? one divine being or essence. And part of that is the will. The will is not in the persons. The will is in the essence. And therefore they have one will, not three wills. Three wills would mean we have three gods. That would be tritheism. Right. And Scary. That's, that's what we <laughs> cannot have. We don't want to go into polytheism here. And that, no, this, 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 and if you think about Judaism and Islam, that's exactly what they say about us, that mm. we believe in uh, tritheism, really. We believe in multiple gods. And we say, no, no, no. We believe what the Bible teaches. Multiple God theories. is one. But if one God, and again, now what Bruce will say is, well, I agree with what you just said, John. When it comes to um, the divine being, there's pure equality, but in their relations, there's there's an ordering of superior of um, authority and submission. 
And then he'll say, but those are, that's not, he'll say, that's not an attribute. Because you see, if you say an attribute, then you're saying it's an essential part or this, uh, an attribute is something that essentially defines something. So if you say red barn, you are essentially um, distinguishing that barn from other barns because it's red. Okay, so you're giving a, an essential distinction. When we talk about the attributes of God, they're, they're essential uh, de defining characteristics of God, okay? And you can't have like the father having more of one attribute than another. Now he'll say, now wait a minute, authority and submission are not attributes, they're relations. But no, I believe authority is part of the power of God. It's even part of the truth of God. And so I think authority is really connected to many of the, and perhaps all of, the attributes of God. And it's clearly also part of the glory of God as well. You see, his authority. And so for the Son to have, or the Holy Spirit, to have less authority, really authority is just a subset uh, or it's something included in the attributes of God. So in my opinion, these things go to the very, again, being of God. He wants to separate authority from the being of God. That's just, that's in a relationship. That's all it is. It's a relational thing. But I think that's wrong. I think that's seriously wrong. Yeah, so are we going to get into a conversation about irreducible complexity or are we going to table that? <laughs> and, uh, all right. So, uh, you, you had given me some notes on this. One of the things you said is that um, Bruce Ware's view fails to distinguish between the Trinity in itself and the Trinity in its works. The Trinity in itself is perfectly, uh, there. there is perfect equality. Same is true with the Trinity um, in its works. So it's interesting because um, th this reminds me a little bit in some ways of the, the debate over women pastors, I suppose, mm -hmm. where... They're, they're, people want soft complementarians want to make this distinction, right? They want to say, no, there's a role here. Uh, and then role. there's, uh, there's a function over here. Yeah, and and an that these are two different things. And that, right. and, and, and I think we have said that, no, 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 you can't separate these things. You know, the, these are, and that's, I think, something similar to what you're saying here um, right. on a different topic, obviously, but that we, we should not separate these things. That's right. We don't want to separate the being of God with the re relation of the persons within the being of God. We don't want to separate those so that you can have a equality in the being, but an inequality in the relationship between them. You see, I, I think this is uh, something that is, again, uh, misguided. Okay. Well, let's, um, sh should I read your conclusion before we move on just to really drive this home because you, 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 you should, put it in read it. Yeah, it, it's one little paragraph here yes. this is your view the eternal relations yeah. of authority and submission um is a dangerous departure from biblical orthodoxy it undermines the unity of the godhead by asserting multiple wills in the trinity which is tritheism three gods it further undermines the unity of the godhead by making the relations of the trinity unequal this creates a functional and relational subordination in the very nature of the trinity which is dangerously close to a form of Arianism. Now that is a serious charge to say that this is close to Arianism because of course, Arianism has been condemned 
throughout most of church history yes. uh, officially. And it's recognized today in cults like the Jehovah's Witness cult, right? So yes. when, when you start saying that, well, it's kind of like Arianism. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying it's kind of like Islam. It's like saying it's kind of like, uh, oh. you know, some, some pagan religion out there. Uh, that's right. It has, um, wh- again, when you say that there is an inequality in the Trinity. Now, again, they're going to say, no, we're not saying that. They're equal in being, but yet their relations are unequal. And so they have a functional, a relational subordination that is really imminent in the Trinity. I mean, it's, it's in the Trinity by its very nature. And that's why I say you're getting close to some type of form of Arianism here. And again, in Arianism, now if you look at you know classical Arianism, they would say that again, the Father and the Son are not of the same being. Okay. They they claim they are of the same, they are the same being in the sense of they're of one divine substance. However, in their relations, in their being. Or, you know, they want to almost separate these things. They're not. And so, again, this is creeping towards an Aryan either. Again, I would call it like functional Arianism here or relational Arianism, because in their relations, it is Aryan. There's a superiority and there's an inferiority. One has authority. The other they're not equal in their in their relations with each other, you see. Let me uh, just bring everyone else in the audience uh, into the discussion we started before I pressed record. I said that there are theistic evolutionists out there who mm-hmm. we would condemn uh, the, the Darwinist understanding of creation. That's obviously uh, erroneous uh, in a way that uh, I, I think we would safely say is heretical. And um, and there's all kinds of problems with it, death before sin being one of them. But there are people who are theistic evolutionists who say they believe in Darwinism to some extent. We, they think we got here through cosmological and biological processes, but that somehow also God created this world and created Adam in his image. And they believe the Genesis story, um, at least the theological, um, important theological ramifications of the Genesis story. And so what do you do with someone like that? That was just one of the examples that I gave. And, and, and you know, they, they put up guardrails because they're not connecting the dots. They're not connecting their view over here, right, on the one hand with their view on the other hand. The right hand does not know what the left hand is doing. And so, Correct. you know, s- some of these people, I think, um, many of them are going to, we're going to be in heaven with them. They're going to be, uh, they believe, they trusted in Christ for their salvation. They, um, they, they trusted in the right Jesus but they had a view they never really worked out over here that they also advocated, right? And this is dangerous stuff. I know there's some who might even disagree with me and say, John, that that's not possible for someone who believes in Darwinism or evolution. Uh, and, and I would just say we, we can have that discussion some other time. But, yeah. but I think that whether you pick this topic or another topic, we can certainly agree there are, um, there are different positions out there that if taken to their conclusions are heresy and damnable heresy. But... Thank God that the people who advocate some of these views do not take them to their conclusions. And they're very quick sometimes to put guardrails up and say, no, 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 no. I don't believe, you know, that they that there's this um, in this case, let's say, uh, in uh, inequality in the Trinity. Of course, I don't believe that. I I just believe it's this relational thing. It doesn't actually get into the ontology. And so they try to to keep uh, 
keep, keep the virus from escaping the lab. Right. Right. And I think what you're saying is like, eh, I mean, there's, there's really no way logically to prevent this from happening. That This is just where it's going to lead. But, but, but that is, you know, I guess it's an admirable effort to try to also hold on to orthodoxy on the other hand. So, so that being said, and, and with that understanding, which I think we both agree with, um, Bruce Ware, Wayne Grudem, uh, Owen Strawn being kind of the biggest names in this, have they connected these dots? Have they said things like, well, there's three wills in the Trinity? Have they, uh, or is this just the logical implications of their position? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's times when people have looked at their views who are very sympathetic to them and their views and said, hey, this view um, really is based upon three wills in the Trinity. And we'll look at something like that in a second. But there's also cases where uh, people who are advocating this have advocated for three wills. Now, you read my conclusion. Let me just say one more thing about the conclusion. Now, again, the uh, the people who are, behind, uh, you know, Bruce and them would disagree with me saying they believe in three wills because he's going to say, I told you, I don't believe in three wills. Okay. But I think their distinction here really is between the nature of God and the relationship between the, 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 the members of the Trinity. I think the nature drives the relationship. And to make a distinction between them so that you can get an inequality in this way, I believe you are creating this. And that's why I said it the way I said it. But now, if you want to, we can look at yeah. what some people have said that shows that this is a lurking danger of the three wills in the Trinity. Yeah, let's do that. Um, do you want to start with the Al Mohler article? Yeah, let's talk about uh, how Al Mohler is involved in this. Uh, when the critics of uh, Bruce Ware's view um, started to say, hey, look, this is this is not orthodox. This is a uh, matter of fact that many of them were calling it heresy. <laughs> many of them were using, you know, this is Arianism. This was some of the things. Well, Al Mohler responded. And in his response, uh, let me just read one line out of what you're showing on the screen right now. He uh, Now, again, the reason Al Mohler's brought into this is Bruce Ware was a professor under Al Mohler at Southern Seminary. And uh, so Mohler was not only defending his professor, but he was defending himself for allowing, a, knowingly allowing a professor to teach such doctrine at Southern Seminary. And so here's a comment he makes in this work. Let me... Uh, is it the recent changes? of violating the Nicene Creed. I think I have it pulled up. Yeah, but there's a line above it that's uh, very, okay. very important. And here's what he says right above that. It says, Muller says, affirming separate wills within the Trinity would be a heresy, but we lack adequate human categories for understanding how exactly to define these doctrines comprehensively. But notice he's saying, if someone were to affirm three wills in the Trinity, he goes, look, this would be heresy, okay? Then if you'll, if you'll highlight that paragraph uh, again, oh yeah, there, there's the line right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, right, right then here. if you go down to the other one, yep. now he sharply rebukes the critics of uh, Bruce Ware and um, Wayne Grudem and so forth. And if you notice here, he, uh, 
he makes the statement. Uh, he goes to the, con I'm reading at the very end of it. To the contrary, both theologians affirm the full scope of Orthodox Christianity and have proven themselves faithful teachers of the church. These charges are baseless, reckless, and unworthy of those who make them. So again, this is a very sharp rebuke that Moeller's bringing. However, Moeller didn't realize at the time that a book had come out uh, before he made this charge. And by the way, I will give you some in, an inside scoop. <laughs> I do know that Moeller was advised. Don't, I don't want to get into names, but I do know Moeller was advised. Don't come out with that statement. You're going to get hurt. Going, there's people who are going to embarrass you if you come out like you're about to do. But he didn't listen to the advice and he wrote this. And the embarrassment did come. What, you, what happened was uh, Carl Truman noticed in this book right here, one God in three persons, unity of act, essence, uh, distinction of persons, implications for life. In this book, there is an author named Kyle, and I hope I get his name right, Clonch. He is currently a professor of theology at Southern Seminary. And at the time of the writing of this book, I believe he was like a, a teaching assistant to um, Bruce Ware, and he was also a, a, the, his PhD advisor. So really, Cal did his PhD under uh, Bruce Ware. And so... So, so before we go on, though, Bruce Ware wrote this book or was one of the authors on this book? He's one of the authors and he's one of the editors, which okay. means he's responsible I think that's important he, he, for everyone to understand. That's that. right. He's responsible for everything written in this book because he's he's not just a contributor. See, if you notice, Chris Cowan over here is a contributor. Right. But, Bray, uh, but Bruce A. Ware is the author, and so is John Stark. They're okay, the authors. So, so people don't know sometimes how this works, and I think it's important yes. for them to know. In academia, when you have... Numerous people working on a, a book of some kind, which happens quite a bit. Most, I, I'm sure you've been part of this, where you'll contribute a chapter, someone right. else will contribute a chapter, but there's an editor or, or series of editors who go through the whole thing and they make sure that That's there's right. um, integrity and uh, a connection, uh, that, that these things are hand in glove and fit together so that you can have a good book uh, and, and from multiple authors, which is actually a challenge. Most people don't realize how much of a challenge it is oh, to get multiple authors. Challenge. You but have to do a lot of work reconciling things. That's right. But here, Bruce has to just keep an eye out on what people say he believes, you know. Right, right. It's pretty easy, right? <laughs> yeah, because this <laughs> right. book is really promoting his position. So he does not want anybody misrepresenting his position. And especially uh, Kyle Clonch, who is... Who, who should know Bruce Ware's view very well. Because he was his student. He, a very close student. Not just a, like when I talked about Owen Strand being in my class, he was just in my, one of my classes, okay? This is a different situation. This is, uh, Kyle was, again, he did his PhD. So he worked very closely with Bruce for quite a while. So, so, so Bruce was his advisor, the advisor. thesis or his dissertation. Oh, yes. So yeah. this is a very close relationship. And again, Kyle is a current professor at Southern Seminary. So again, they were, they've been very close for a long time. So what does the book say? 
<laughs> okay, when you look in the book, uh, I'm going to read um, uh, what uh, Kyle Clunch said. He goes, in order for the son to submit willingly to the will of the father, the two must possess distinct wills. Now, he is, again, describing the view. It's not his view, but he's describing the view of, again, Bruce Ware and Wayne Grudem. This way of understanding the imminent trinity, meaning the trinity in itself, or ontologically, does run counter to the pro-Nicene tradition. He's exactly right. This is not Nicaea. Uh, no, no, no. Athanasius would have none of this. Kyle is right. And then he says this, as well as the medieval Reformation, post-Reformation reform tradition. That's right. This teaching of Bruce Ware and Wayne Grudem has not been seen ever in 1500 years. By the way, I did ask Bruce once. I said, what you're teaching, do you see it in some of those early church fathers? And he goes, oh no. He goes, what we're doing is something that's sort of advancing it or develop it further in the direction where they were going. Well, I don't think they would agree with that. I, I seriously don't. But what Kyle is saying here is correct. Let me read a little bit more here. He says, he goes, by arguing for eternal authority and submission in the Godhead, where Grudem and others are not abandoning in all traditional Trinitarian categories. Obviously, they're abandoning in many of the categories, but not all of them, okay? Rather, drawing on the distinction between the one divine essence and the three divine persons, a distinction that is basic to Trinitarian orthodoxy from its earliest mature expressions, they are making a conscious and informed choice to conceive of will as a property of the person rather than the essence. The model of a three-willed trinity then provides the basis for the conviction that structures of authority and submission actually serve as one of the means differentiating the divine persons. Kyle Clotch clearly believed at this time that Bruce Ware was teaching three wills in the Trinity, the very thing that Moeller had said, this, is, this would be a heresy. Well, guess what? The, the, some of the very close, some of the best and closest students of, of Bruce Ware, they're coming out with, they're saying, hey, this is what it is. I mean, this is logically what's being said so, here. So what did Bruce, what happened though? Because this was what, 2016 and- uh, This was, Bruce, yeah, 2016, that's right. Bruce Ware had to have gotten some blowback, you know, not, and it is embarrassing for Al Mohler. So what, how did they rectify this to try? Because Bruce Ware is still teaching at Southern uh, Seminary. Yeah, he might he, be retired, but he's still probably a retired professor teaching there. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't fired for- Oh, no, 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 that, oh, no, 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 no. Mohler called heretical. <laughs> I'm the one that got fired. You're the <laughs> one that got fired. Right? <laughs> he retired. <laughs> yeah. I think he has been retired. I think he has. But but either way, whether he, my only point is that there was a, a view that Mueller called heretical. Correct. And here's Bruce Ware uh, endorsing his own PhD student who's representing his view. And it's directly in violation of that heretical view Mueller says that should not be believed. Right. But he kept his job. So what happened? How did he keep well, his job? Well, uh, as soon as Mark Jones and again, Carl Truman um, put this out, uh, I, I like uh, Mark Jones. He, he, he called his uh, response, the irony of Moeller's post on the Trinity. Yeah, there's quite an irony there. Mark Jones is right about that. 
what happened was, uh, as you as you're putting up on the screen now, uh, there was a, an, a very quick, uh, let's say, correction. Okay, um, as you said a minute ago, the virus has come out of the lab, and now we're in cleanup mode. Now, I mean, we, we we've got to uh, shut everything down and get this get this uh, COVID virus cleaned up that we, we've released, and so Claunch. Uh, writes and let me read the, the first part here. In the full interest, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I should state openly that I am currently pursuing a PhD in systematic theology under the supervision of Bruce Ware at Southern Seminary, where Dr. Moeller is president. You can imagine I was greatly disquieted by the fact that my published works have been used to discredit the claims of the president of my seminary in the orthodoxy. Of my of my supervising professor, uh, yes, <laughs> this is very difficult. He goes on to write, and I'm just going to read just a part of it here. Ware has told me through private correspondence that he holds to one will in the Godhead, each person exercising the one divine will according to his hypostatic identity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there, is a, there, was a, a, there was a, let's say, correction. Then Bruce later came out and clarified his position even more. Uh, Bruce, let me see if I can kind of give you what he said <clears throat> so that I can say it accurately here. Bruce said about the wills. I don't think I have this. Yeah, you don't. Have, well, you do on, my, uh, on the outline. But anyway, he says this. The one will is activated, basically, you have one will, but then each member of the Trinity activate that one will in their own way. So you've still got three wills, to be honest with you. And so here's what he says. Each member of, each person of the uh, Godhead activates the one will to their own, to their own will, basically. But that still it does not that still is th three wills, practically speaking. And again, how can you have, uh, what? Well, this that's doesn't, like, let me say this real quick. Yeah. How does it make sense? What's the meaning if you are, you're exerting authority and submission, but it's the same will, it's the same one will. How can that be? How can you, at, the, at one time, uh, the father is exerting his will in authority, the son is exerting his will in submission, but that's all part of one will. Right. It seems meaningless. It seems meaningless. Let me ask you that's this. Why, that's why Cal Clanch uh -huh. understood it the way he understood it. I mean, it, it, it's uh, otherwise it's meaningless. Do you, I mean, do you think honestly, maybe this is speculative, but like that Bruce Ware just said, oh, no. And then had to had to kind of tweak something, or do you think this was his view all along that there's this one will that is then somehow uh, ascertained and manifested in three, I guess, applications of that one will that are different in in some kind of hierarchy? I don't know, but see, he all the critics of his were already pointing this out that look, it looks like you're teaching three wills. Okay. And but this but in Bruce's defense, I will say this: this stuff happened very quickly. I mean, it, it didn't take long for this to erupt. But the but when you came, but when, Bruce is a very competent theologian. I mean, he's he's no he's no fool on this. I mean, right, he's not right. incompetent. 
And so as he's coming up with this, he's even in his, by the way, it, it, he came out with an article on it and he goes, now I'm, I'm going to explain to you my view. And then he, at the very end of it, he goes, now this is not simple or easy. Or he said something like that because he recognizes it's hard to get away. It's almost impossible to get away of not seeing three wills in the Trinity when you bring this hierarchy of submission and authority. It, it's where did you get the quote that you just read from him that kind of was, uh, I guess, sounded contradictory and yes. awkward. Uh, where was on, that from? So, this, so people who are listening. Yes. Hold on here. I've got it. Just give me just a second. Um, at least I hope I do. Was it in a book? Was it in a video? No, it's it? a, it's, it's a, you could, you could, uh, look this up on the, on the web, knowing the self-revealed God who was father, son, and Holy spirit guest post by Bruce Ware. And I'll read it to you since, uh, I'm here. Let's see here. He goes this, he, when he talks about the three wills, he goes, here's the question and ask him. Okay. Listen, Closely related is the next question regarding the will of God as it pertains to the one and undivided divine nature and the three distinct persons. Can there be a will of authority from the Father and a will of submission from the Son without conceiving of separate and separable divine wills? It's a very good question. That's, that's, that's very well done. Here's his answer, and I'm just going to give you part of it. In short, my answer is yes. But the issue is anything but simple. Exactly. <laughs> and so here's what he, here's what he here's his sort of his conclusion on this. Um, yet while each and he's talking about each person of the Trinity possesses the same volitional capacity, each also is able to activate that volitional capacity in exercising the one will in distinct yet unified ways according to their distinct identities and mode of subsistence. <laughs> Again, it gets quite complicated there. And I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing this. But basically, there's one divine will, and each of them separately are able to activate their own will, basically, out of the one unified will. I, that's basically what he's saying here. Because uh, again, he goes... <laughs> I, I know, I know. I don't know. I'm just kind of like well, thinking. I, I got to read this. Part. Let me just read this part. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, goes go for it. Or even three distinguishable acts of willing. <laughs> you see, so there's three distinguishable acts of willing, but yet there's one will. I mean, how can you? Or he'll say it this way: along with the three inflections of the unified divine will. So again, he has to. He's forced into saying there's like there's one divine will but they, but that one divine will can be activated three different ways according to the persons of the trinity oh it's still three wills i mean it really is um but it, the, the funny thing to be i guess the reason i was smiling is i i think of a uh like i know there's complex doctrines but i i think of the the, <laughs> the, the pew sitter there Right. The, the person who just wants to follow the Bible, hearing <laughs> this right. and saying, what Bible verse, you know, wh where do you even yeah. start? Where do you, this is this this just seems to me like what you get in academia. And, and it's, it's not just obviously theology. I've seen this in philosophy and history and every yeah. discipline. 
you get on this island where you just get, it gets weird, man. You gets you've seen this. Weird. I'm sure you, but, but let me ivory tower syndrome. Just real quick, there are some Bible verses. Now again, it doesn't say they have one will, but when it says this, when it says thing like uh, Jesus about the being in the you know form of God. In other words, he he is he's got the very form what God is. He is okay or. Jesus will say, you know, my father and I are one. One in what? You know, one in being. Well, if you're one in being, you have one will. If you're two in beings, you have two wills. Right. So when he says, I and my, my father and I are one, you see, what do you mean by one? What is one God? What is monotheism, you see? And so th that's where it comes from. And for, and I know for the average person in the church, they're going to hear this. The eyes are going to start glazing. Why is this important? We're talking about the God that we worship. Who is the God that we worship? So it's a, it's an, it's an absolutely essential doctrine. And I know it's being. I, I know we have to use fancy words. We we do. There's just no getting around it. But the practical implication for everyday believers is very important. How do we, are we monotheist? Are, or do we believe that God, that they're equal in power and in glory and in all their attributes? Do we believe that? Yeah. Or what else, or, or how are we going to believe this? And are we going to have superior, inferior, greater, lesser in the Trinity? Uh, what's that say about who our God is? So this really strikes at the very roots, the very foundation of what we believe as Christians. You can't get more foundational on what we're talking about. So even though once you know you wake up from the nap, you really want to grapple with this because this is vitally important to how we read Scripture and in every other way. Um. Yeah, well said. Uh, there was one last thing I think you wanted me to share, which is uh, this uh, Josh Summers, who's actually been on the podcast years ago, was a student okay. of Owen Strawn. And um, he had something to say about his experience in Owen Strawn's class. Is, is now a good time for me to play? Yeah, let's, pl let's play this now. Okay. Testimony. All right, start here. Kind of a personal testimony uh, in terms of my own experience with, with Dr. Strayan, I had Dr. Strayan as a professor in class um, for a, the, a master's level theology one course. Okay. In that class, uh, he taught ERES, and I distinctly remember one, uh, one day where uh, it, the classes were like three-hour blocks apiece, so it was like three hours worth of lecture every time we were in there, and I think it was twice out of the week or something like that. And this was at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Strayan is no longer at MBTS. He is, he is at, um, he is at uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary in um, Conway, Arkansas with Jeff Johnson. So um, the day that I recall him teaching on, on the Doctrine of the Trinity in particular, um, he affirmed three wills in the Godhead. He was teaching ERAS. It was either myself or someone else who asked whether or not he would go on to affirm what seemed to be the implication that there are three wills in the Godhead. And he, quite unashamedly and, and plainly, without any 
you know, need to think about it, affirmed three wills in the Godhead. So that's my personal experience with, with Dr. Owen Strand. I know a lot of people are asking you to... Okay, so uh, that's Josh Summer, who was a student of Dr. Owen Strawn, who, for, for people who don't know, Owen Strawn uh, teaches, I guess, the same understanding of the Trinity that Bruce Ware, who we've been talking about, teaches. He's also, he happens to be, I believe, the son-in-law of Bruce Ware, if I'm not mistaken, That right? is correct. And correct. so th there's a family relationship, not saying that's why he holds that position, but they are, they're close. We'll put it that way. Very close. Um, and, and so Josh Summer, another student says, well, this is what Owen Strawn's saying. Now you, you, you didn't have at least a publicly available quote from Owen Strawn saying that exact thing. So th it's just the testimony of the student. Um, but it would be consistent with what I guess you've, uh, brought to us concerning Bruce Ware, and it would be consistent with the logical implications of their view. Yeah, that's true. But also, I hope our viewers will go to get a podcast because uh, Owen Strand did a podcast on this. Oh, Owen Strand did. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's called The Antithesis Trinitarian Truth in Divisive Times. And if you'll go there, he will talk about his view. And I could give you some quotes. And again, Josh also referred to this. He goes, hey, listen, what you hear in, in, uh, on this podcast is what he was teaching in the classroom. And let, let me give you just a few um, quotes from this. Listen, listen to this quote. It comes at the about the 31 minute mark of this. Um, the son is not here to execute a generic Trinitarian divine will, but the father's will that in terms of the son's own confession, he is not here to execute a generic tr Trinitarian will, a generic divine will. He's here to do the Father's will. And then he goes on to say the Father's will has the primacy, meaning over the Son's will, over the Holy Spirit's will, obviously. The Father's will has primacy. What do you mean the primacy? And again, by the way, Bruce Ware says in one of his uh, online things, that the Father has the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority over whom? Over the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, relationally. But he has the ultimate authority. So again, again, let me read that again. The Son is not here to execute a generic Trinitarian divine will, but the Father's will, meaning the Father's will as opposed to the will of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, the Bible emphasizes the Father's will, not the Son's nor the Holy Spirit's will. That what the New Testament <clears throat> emphasizes over and over and over again is not the Son's will or the Spirit's will, but the Father's will. Then he talks about the greater authority. If you go to about uh, timestamp 3930, he says, this is the Father speaking. Uh, this, is, this is the speaking to the Father's authority as greater than the Son's. The Father has greater authority. The son will not set down at the same level as the father. This is speaking to the father's authority. Doesn't mean that the father is a better divine person than the son. Not in the least. Does mean that the father has greater authority. The father is the one who sent the son. The son is going to sit down at the father's right hand when his work is done. He's not going to sit down in the same throne. He's not going to sit down right beside the father at the same level. He sits down at the Father's right hand. Now, if you ask me, will the Father have a higher authority than the God-man in the sense of the humanity of Christ? Well, yes. 
But see, that's not what he's referring to here. He's referring to the second person in the Trinity as the son. You see, again, he they confuse these things. And therefore, what he's saying is the first person of the Trinity, you know, the second person does not have the same uh, level of authority. And so, again, he, that's what he's teaching. He also mentions that they don't have the same glory. Listen to this. He talks about the father having a, quote, unique glory and the son having a unique glory. Let me let me even narrow in just a little bit. We won't understand the unique glory of the father as his own distinct person. And we won't understand the unique glory of the son as his own distinct person. But again, they're equal in power and glory. So let me just say it this way. The father has glory. The son has glory. And the Holy Spirit has glory. That's not three glories, though. That's one glory. If you've got three glories, again, you've got three persons. And so you've got to be very careful that, again, we don't end up in tritheism as, again, uh, the, the, the Jews will say about us and Islam will say about us. Okay, so very, very important. Okay, so again, um, Strand's teaching uh, is like out of the laboratory, you know, it's out there in the wild. And so you can hear it. And again, it is, and again, he makes virtually no distinction between the second person of the Trinity and Jesus. I mean, it's, and so therefore, when again, when Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, I'm not sure how he would handle it. I'm sure there he's going to have to say, I don't know how else he can do it. That's the humanity of Christ. He's, he's going to have to. But usually when he sees the son, he'll immediately say, he'll, he'll say, basically, that's the, uh, uh, you know, the, the second person of the Godhead is really what's been talked about here. And he'll say things like this, you know, the son is the same before the incarnation, during the incarnation and afterwards. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, but yet there's a difference. The son took on a true body and a reasonable soul. So it's not quite the same. <laughs> And you have the God man at that point, you see. So, but again, he's he's reading a lot of their, like the way they reveal themselves in creation, in providence, in redemption is the father sending the son. And he's reading that right back into the Trinity itself as an evidence that there are levels in the Trinity. There is a superior and inferior, not in being, but in Again, relationship, okay, in function. And again, this is, uh, this is not what the scripture teaches. This is a, a doctrine that, it, this is a major overhaul of the Trinity, and I believe we ought to reject it. So the, uh, I guess the cap on all of this is that you, you're concerned, we didn't even really talk about Wayne Grudem, but we talked about more Bruce Ware and Owen Strawn. You're concerned, you know, these guys have platforms. They're still very respected and not just respected because of their um, general theological knowledge, but specifically even their knowledge on this subject. Uh, and um, but it, it, if it taken to its conclusions, logical conclusion, it leads to a heresy at the very least. Um, I think you, you are comfortable just calling it heresy, saying this actually is heresy. Yes. I mean, it is a major error, you know, and therefore I will call it a heresy. Now, look, when we say that, people will immediately jump and say, you just consigned him to hell. No, 
Uh, Liz, what I'm saying is if you put me on a church council and we're going to determine whether this is going to be acceptable or he's either got to repent of this, recant of this in order to teach in the church or in the seminary. Yes, I'm going to say this is outside the bounds of orthodoxy. In my opinion, it is heresy. Only God can, you know, consign the heretic and everyone else to hell, not me. But yet he has given the church courts, as it were, censures where they can approach issues like this. And all I'm saying is, if you put me on a faculty committee as a professor to investigate this, I would have to vote this as out of bounds. And clearly the founders of Southern Seminary, Boyce and Broadus. Now, let me say one more thing just real quick. I got to get this in. If you read some of Owen Strawn's stuff, he will constantly be quoting Charles Hodge, J.I. Packer, and he claims that they hold to the same view he does. And, you know, Augustine does. None of them held to the view that there's this, uh, this authority subordination relationship that we distinguish the Trinity. Not one of these people do this. What he's confusing again is when these people like Charles Hodge, when he says things like, um, you know, the father sends the son and it's never reversed and so forth. He's talking about their modes of operation again. He's not talking about the inner workings or the inner being of the Trinity. Uh, Strawn is just not understanding these guys. None of these guys teach this... Um, this doctrine. They don't, okay? They don't do it. And so I, I wish Strawn wouldn't do that. He's being, I mean, it's, it's either incompetency or it's deceptive. So I'm telling you, these guys did not teach this doctrine. Yeah. Okay? They didn't. It, it's, it's new. And so these guys do have big platforms. I mean, if you think of um, Wayne Grudem, his textbook on systematic theology is probably the most used textbook in America, yes. maybe around the world. Yes. And this is making big inroads there. Bruce Ware, again, taught at a major seminary. Again, he speaks all over America, all over the world. And no one Strawn does. I mean, Strawn is, you know, well known on the Internet, but also, you know, he's taught at he taught this stuff at Midwestern for years, Midwestern Seminary. And now he's at a was it Grace Grace Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, Grace Baptist in uh, Conway, Arkansas. Yeah. And now he's like the provost. So, I mean, you know, he is uh, yeah, in a very he, top he, position. He's headlining G3, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, yeah, there's... And, and there's so, I mean, of... th these guys are being accepted and their doctrine is going far and wide and it's making... This this stuff is making headways. It, things may be kind of quiet right now, but let me assure you, these things are making headways. And that's why I wanted to come on today. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm coming on to say we should reject this. This is very dangerous and it, it must be rejected. And it, it's uh, if we go this direction, we are really changing the foundation of our understanding of who God is. And we can't get more fundamental than that. And again, it really lands us into more of a, a tritheism or, in, or, and again, in the very nature of the relations and the functions of the Trinity, there is superiority, inferiority, or, or put it this way, they're not equal 
in authority. They're equal in power and glory. They're equal in, you know, all their attributes, but not authority. I, I just can't, I can't take that. And I, I think maybe the good thing to put the cap on all of this is because some people are, are probably mad. Some people are confused. Some people need to go watch this podcast again. Um, theological drift happens some in ever so slight increments sometimes like the social justice stuff that I witnessed at Southeastern. As I looked back, I thought, you know, when I, in 2014, I saw this, I didn't notice it at the time, but it was there. Mm -hmm. It was creeping into their chapels. I, I, I was wondering, sitting there wondering why we kept talking about the black experience in chapel. <laughs> what, what was this about? And, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. I mean, I'm here to learn the Bible, but it, it, it just, it started with these slight drifts, these slight assumptions that, well, we need other perspectives to understand the Bible better. And, and it lands you in, and in 2020, we all realized, oh no, th this is where this is going. And I think that it's like that with a lot of uh, heresies and a, a lot of false teachings. They, they just, they start with something that is barely detectable sometimes, or just, you know, it seems innocuous, seems like, oh, that's a good brother with a different view. You, and wait one generation, wait till their students, right? Start talking about, oh, yeah. the students always take things two, two steps farther, right? You know, you have John MacArthur and then the MacArthur rights and the MacArthur rights are the or, students. Or, or sometimes too. the students are more consistent. They're more, they're exactly, the exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's the thing at, at Southeastern, Walter Strickland students, I was, I, I was told were, you know, they were the more radical students, more radical sure. than he was. And so that's, that's how this stuff over time creates wedges. And I, I think you, you know, you love the church. You love, you're not doing this out of any, this doesn't help you. <laughs> this no. does not make any friends for you. That's no. for sure. and, and again, I really love Bruce. I've always had good relations with Bruce. I'm not, uh, this is not a personal vendetta, but look, this is something that we have to stand for. And I, I, you, you asked me to, you, know, you said, hey, would you like to come on and talk about this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you is, were. You jumped at it. Because this issue is very, very important in the orthodoxy of the church. And, and, and in the, you know, if the church is going to, you know, what we believe about God and our duty toward him, this is very, very important. And yeah. so I, I think more. we've got to... This doctrine, I know it, it sometimes, and it, look, it does the same to me. Sometimes I read it, I got to stop for a while and go outside and cut the grass or something because it, it, it's, God is incomprehensible, not completely, but we can't comprehend him completely. And so when we talk about these things, it is difficult, right. but at the same time, we, we've got to understand that this is a very important uh, issue. Yeah. And what I would hope for is that, again, Wayne Grudem, Bruce Ware, Owen Strand, and the others who are promoting this would stop doing this, to be quite honest with you, because it's, uh, it is shifting the basis of our faith. Well, with that, uh, thank you, Dr. Fuller. People can go to your website, russelltfuller.com, russelltfuller.com, if you want to take courses from Dr. Fuller in theology or languages. Uh, or New Testament, Old Testament. And um, uh, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, John. It's always good to be with you. My pleasure.
This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.